I want you to be turning, if you will, to 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to be giving you a number of uh, passages of scripture tonight. I started on Sunday morning with just the introduction of does it matter what we believe? And uh, I dealt with the fact that it does matter what we believe. It affects our, our conversation. It affects our character. It affects our conduct. We're, our life is molded by the basic beliefs that we have. I do want to stress this to you because it's a little alarming to me and uh, it's probably one of the greatest battles that I face as a pastor. I, I watch people sit in this church for a lifetime and then suddenly they'll relocate or they'll, they'll grow up as children in the church, they'll go off to college and I'm not anti-college. But the next thing you know, they are in a church that has no basic fundamental doctrines at all that they were taught. Which tells me it is possible for you to sit where you're sitting for a lifetime and not one ounce of it soak into you. Now that's hard to believe. And if it doesn't get in you, then you'll find it will challenge you later on because the devil knows the word of God and he knows how to distort the word of God. He knows how to take the Bible and Bible verses and make it look almost right. If you have not heard me say this, I know those of you that attend faithfully, you've heard me say it time and time again. The Bible teaches us that we are to have discernment. And discernment doesn't mean being able to tell what's right from wrong. Spiritual discernment is being able to tell from what's right compared to what's almost right. Because the greatest battle that you'll face is those beliefs that have a Bible basis, but it is twisted to make, to make their point and to challenge your mind to lure you away from what you have been taught. Because if you don't spend time in the word of God, first of all, you won't know what it says. And a lot of people, the only time that they take in any of the word of God is the few minutes that we have on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. And since half the people don't come on Wednesday night, they're only either getting Sunday morning or Sunday night. And since only about 25% drop out to 30% on Sunday night, you've got about 40% that's there all three times. And really, you need the Bible every day. I can't give enough to you in the small amount of time that we're gathered together in a weekly basis. I can't teach enough, preach enough. You need more than what I say. And that's why it's important for you to begin every day of your life by reading the word of God or listening to the word of God to know something, to build up that filter inside of us, as I mentioned Sunday morning, until when we hear something that maybe is not biblically correct, it's not a thing for you to argue, it's a thing for an alarm to go off inside of you and say, thank God, I'm glad that I know the truth and I know what the Bible teaches and that's not going to persuade me or sway me, but if you're not established with a strong foundation in the word of God, you can be challenged very quickly. Now let me, let me just give a preface to this real quick tonight. 
There'll be one or two things that I'm saying that if you take it out of context, you'll think I'm picking on a particular denomination or a particular religion. I'm not doing that. I'm just going, I have to use something as an example for you to see that there are people that they are right in what they believe, but what they believe is wrong biblically. But yet they feel like it has a, a biblical enough support that they follow that. And I'm not out to, to call names. That's not my intention. Uh, I'm not trying to do that at all. I'm just saying we need to be aware of the fact that we are going to meet some challenges. And when we meet those challenges, if we have not built up a belief system inside of us, a belief system inside of our children, when we're confronted with that, then we're gonna have some serious problems. Let's read together if you will. And let, let's go to 1 Peter chapter three. 1 Peter chapter three, let's look at verse 14. 1 Peter chapter three and verse 14. But, and if you suffer for righteousness sake, happy are ye. And be not, what's the next word? Afraid of their terror. Neither be, what's the word? Troubled. So be not afraid, be not troubled. In other words, there's something that they're saying that will challenge your spiritual standing to trouble you. And he said, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always. Not sometimes, not occasionally, always be ready to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Well, what's he talking about trying to face these situations that can create all of this wrong feeling inside of us and why do we need to sanctify ourselves? In other words, what, why does it really matter if I have a belief system or not? Well, let me tell you why it matters. Number one, it will prevent you from being misled by error or false doctrine. It's easy to be misled. You say, well, Cal, is it really? Well, look how many false prophets were about and false teachers were about when Jesus was here, when the early church was established, they founded the church. The doctrine was as pure as it could be. It had come straight from the cross and the resurrection to the coming of the Holy Spirit. The doctrine was so fundamental. It was fresh to them. But from the time Paul would visit one church until he would write them the second letter, they would already be far removed from the basics of the gospel in just a short period of time. Do you know why? People came in with heresies. They come in with heretic teaching. They came in with false teaching that easily led them astray. If there were false teachers then, I'll guarantee you there's more now because the Lord promised as we get closer to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, then false teachers would abound and that it would even grow and there would be a greater number of false prophets false teachers that we'll face in the end times than they even did at the founding of the church and the early days of the church. Is that biblical? Well, Mark chapter 13 and verse 22, for false Christ and false prophets shall rise and shall show signs and wonders to seduce if it were possible, even the elect. I like that word, if it were possible. 
in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ, and no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness whose end shall be according to their works. In other words, at the end, you're gonna find out it was false, but it's too late. And that tells me if there's ministers, you've got to beware every preacher that puts a Bible under their arm and goes off to Bible college doesn't mean that they're a minister of truth nor of the word of God. The Bible says in 1 John chapter four and verse one, beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God because many false prophets are going out into the world. In 2 Timothy chapter four and verse two, preach the word, be instant in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine and I can give a hearty amen, we're there right now. People can't stand the truth and if you wanna run a crowd off, just preach what the doctrine of the word of God is and they can't stand it. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. They'll believe a lie before they believe the truth. Now how do we, how do we prevent that from happening to us? Parents, how do you prevent that from happening to your children? You've got to develop a belief system that is based on the word of God to keep us and prevent us from being misled. It'll look almost right. But if you don't know all there is to know about certain doctrines, it will be easy to be misled. Let, let me, is it okay if I give you an example? First of all, promise me you're not gonna be angry or upset with me. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna tell you. See, what happens is, is that preachers have been the worst when they don't understand their own doctrine. When they're confronted by something, they're like politicians, just call one another a name and that makes it all right. You're right because you called somebody else a name. You can't just call somebody a false prophet because they disagree with you. You've got to know what it is that happens when, when, you're, when you're being taught certain things because it will not only prevent us from being misled, it will pro protect us from fear and intimidation. Because when you're hit with certain situations, if you don't know what the Bible says and believe what the Bible says, you will be overcome with fear. Or you'll be caught in a situation, whether it's a professor in a classroom or whether it's a medical doctor in the office challenging your faith compared to science or whether it be a close friend or acquaintance or family member that's of another belief. Because if you don't know what God says, you can't trust yourself. 
None of us are trustworthy. You say, oh, I'm, I'm trustworthy. I'd venture to say there's very few people here that believe exactly the first day they got saved, believe everything that they believe the first day they got saved. Do you know why you don't believe the, everything? Because you were ignorant to a lot of things in the Bible. And you learn better when you started reading the word of God and you thought, well, uh, you know, I was wrong on that. Because it sounded good, you'd stand up and you'd repeat it just like it was the gospel. Godliness is next, cleanliness is next to godliness. Well, that's a good saying. I want everybody to be clean. I want everybody to take a bath, but that's not in the Bible. Nowhere, it's a good print. Would you help me preach tonight? And you will be caught in situations where you'll be filled with fear and intimidation because you're saying, oh my, I've been in church all my life and I don't know how to answer this question. I don't know what I really believe. And then you'll start repeating what somebody else said instead of knowing what the Bible teaches. Let me give you an example. I'm gonna tell you just one example that I deal with and I don't think this would be an exaggeration. I deal with a lot of people that's sick and near death. And life changes perspective to an individual when the doctor comes in and says, I'm sorry, you don't have long to live. We have no cure. We've done all that we can do. We have no medicine. We can try to make you comfortable. But you talk about people's mind changing gears. I don't know, maybe I've come to preach to the wrong crowd tonight. You don't want to hear that. You talk about people's mind changing gears. I have watched people that have been in church, that have preached the gospel, that have taught Sunday school, that have been deacons and preachers and pastors. I've, I've, I've been with people that they have sung and been in ministry for years and years. I've watched people that have been founders in church for 50 and 60 years and their mind go haywire because, not because of age or even disease. It's because they really don't know what they believe. You ask a lot of people, what do you believe? I believe what my denomination believes. Well, what does your denomination believe? My, my denomination believes what my church believes. Well, what does your church believe? My church believes what my pastor believes. Well, what does your pastor believe? My pastor believes what grandma and grandpa believed. Well, what did grandma and grandpa believe? The same thing mom and dad believed. Well, what do you believe? I believe the same thing. That's not giving the reason for the hope that's in you. There is no reason based on. The doctor comes to you and says, you're gonna die. Suddenly, people will come out of the woodwork. They'll come from everywhere because everyone's right in their own eyes. And your mind will start working and you'll start saying, I wonder what it's like to die. I wonder, where am I really going when I die? What if what I have felt good about in church, what if there isn't a heaven? 
What, what if there isn't a hell? What if I just cease to be? What if there's just one life and that's all you have? What, what if, you know, maybe, maybe that Hindu was right. Maybe I'll come back and I have 108 chances to get it right. 108 existences. I'll come back in a higher life form to learn my lesson. What, what, if, uh, what if I haven't done enough for God? What if I'm short in some way? What, what if there is a third place? What if there is a purgatory? Boy, it's quiet enough now. We could hear a pin drop. See now, I know, I know fundamental preachers and what they want to do is just get up and they'll say, why preacher, that wouldn't confuse anybody's mind. Everybody knows there's not a purgatory. I don't know where they get such a doctrine and they'll go back and the first thing they'll say is when they wanted to build a particular cathedral, they invented this idea of theology. Wrong. Wrong. Religions that teach that, they did not do that to get money. You say, well, if you'd ask them, well, what about purgatory? Are you telling me that that's where I go to get right, to be punished until enough punishment for my sins and then I get to go to heaven? I hope I have you thinking a little bit tonight. Let me tell you what they would confront you with, someone that knows their doctrine. This is what they would confront you with. First of all, they would take you to passages of scripture where they baptized for the dead. It is in the book. And they would ask you to explain that. The prayers for the dead did not start when they started to build St. Peter's Cathedral or any other cathedral. That's not when it started. They don't base their doctrine on that. And first of all, let's get this right. They don't look at purgatory as punishment. They look at purgatory as purification. They believe there's different levels of sin, mortal sins and sins that are not mortal. Mortal sins on the soul automatically sends somebody to hell. I'm not saying I believe all of this. I'm just telling you this is what you're gonna hear. And then you'll say, yeah, but they're actually paying people to get out of hell. And then when you tell them something like that, do you know what they're gonna say? They're gonna take you the passage of scripture and say some men's sin go before them to the judgment and some men's sin go after, explain it. Oh, let, let me give you this. Hey, let's, let's go tonight. Let's go to Luke, Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. I got your attention. I don't have anything else tonight. Luke chapter 12. Go, go right to the end of the chapter. Let's look at the last two verses, 58 and 59. This is a basis for what the belief is. When thou goest with thine adversary to the magistrate, as thou art in the way, give diligence that thou mayest be delivered, be delivered from him, lest he hail thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and the officer cast thee into prison. I tell thee, thou shalt not depart thence 
till thou hast what? Paid the very last mite. The mite was the smallest amount of money that there was. It's not about money. It's about purification to them. So they say that they go to Revelation, teach from Revelation 2, that, that if you are not holy, you cannot see the kingdom of God. We believe that, don't we? Without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. Is that Bible or not? That's what they say. And they're saying, and by the way, almost everybody that dies, when they die, they have something wrong. So what happens is, is there is this prison, not held for punishment, but in that time, and again, they'll vary. Some will say it takes a thousand years, some 2,000 years, some a shorter period of time, but you have to be purged, hence purgatory, purged of all of your wrong to be holy enough to get into heaven. And someone has to care enough about you to pay, it's not about money. Some only require $5. But it's about the fact somebody's willing to pay something to make you pure to go to heaven. And by the time they're done with you, you're gonna have your tongue sticking out of your head and you're gonna have your eyes crossed and you're gonna be red as a beet and you can get as mad as you want and call them names, but the truth of the matter is they skunked you. That basically means they beat the living daylights out of you with the Bible you hold in your hand. You say, why preacher, what do you do? I agree with them. I don't believe there's a purgatory because I don't have to go to a prison house. I do believe that there was a holding place. And I believe that Jesus, when he died on the cross, he descended from the cross and led captivity captive, hallelujah, and broke the chains and took the keys of death and of hell. I do believe that somebody had to pay to make it pure, but you can't pay for me, but there's one whose name is Jesus, that he said I am the ultimate judge, and he paid it all, all of my sins, everything hinges on the power of his blood and his forgiveness. So I say, if you're counting on me for your salvation to get in, you're in trouble. I can't depend on me, let alone depend on you. I'd hate to depend on people. Some of you in here tonight, you tell me one time how much you love me, next time you won't speak to me. I can't depend on you. I'm not dependent on you. I love you, but I'm dependent on a greater power than you. I'm dependent on the one that knows all about hell, that took the punishment that I needed, and I am not purged because of what I have done or what you have done. I am purged, I am cleansed, I am washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. 
So it is to protect ourselves from fear. Oh, I'm out of time. It is to be persuasive in our presentation of what we believe. I don't want you to get the wrong idea. We ought to be able to give the reason for this hope because we don't persuade anyone to be saved. But what happens is when we have the right belief system that's based on the word of God, I've seen it happen over and over again. I can walk into a room where somebody is struggling in the hour of death with doubts and the devil saying it's not real. But when I start reminding them of the scripture of the word of God and start quoting the scripture to them and start showing them the premise of how that we are saved and how that Jesus is with them and that he is greater than the enemy that's fighting them. It happens every time. Once they start hearing the scripture and it's refreshed in their mind, suddenly they start rejoicing in the fact that they know, glory to God, I am saved and on my way to heaven, I'm saved because the Bible says that I'm saved. The reason we're not seeing more sinners come to Christ, we're not presenting the belief system with persuasion. It's hard for you to convince somebody that you love the church when you only come once every six months. You have no ability to persuade them I better leave you alone on that. See what I'm saying? If you really know it and you really believe it, it's not just a label. Now you can put a front on with others, but there's some people that you can't fool. They know enough about the Bible and they know enough about trying the spirits that they know that you're deceived. You put other things in front of God and there's things more important to you than what God is. You're not deceiving anybody but yourself. You've got to be persuasive. And, and let me say this before I close. Why do we need a belief system? Four things. To prevent us from being misled by error or false doctrine. To protect us from fear and intimidation. I wish we'd get that down. Quit telling me how much you believe passages of scripture and then saying it, but living in fear. You don't really believe it. If you really believe that he's your healer, and if you really believe that he's going to take care of all of it, then why are you so obsessed with giving details of all your symptoms? I'll guarantee you any church, any fundamental church in America I go into tonight, if I ask for prayer request, you'd hear very few people stand up and praise God for his power to heal. And every one of us in here probably has been healed at one time or another. But I tell you what they will do, they'll tell you about every doctor's appointment and they'll tell you about every trouble they have and every test they've got coming up and how down they are and how bad they feel and how rough it is instead of saying, 
you know, even on my worst day, it is better than the best day I ever had when I was living for the devil because no matter what I face, the Lord is with me. And in the end, I get heaven. I don't know what I'll die from. I don't know what will lay hold on me. But until I get to that place, I can trust the Lord and I can declare he's my savior. He's my healer. He's my God. I can claim the promises of his word. Tell the devil, you're the one that ought to be afraid. I'm not afraid. The other reason is to be persuasive in our presentation of what we believe. Persuade people. Put the pressure on them. Start inviting people to church. Start letting people think that this is better than any amusement in the world. If you don't enjoy the services that God gives us around here, then you're definitely not in the right spirit. Because I'm telling you, I've been to the amusements of the world and while there's nothing wrong with a lot of those things, there's nothing like spending five minutes in the presence and power of God where the blessed Holy Ghost is flowing from heart to heart and breast to breast. There's nothing like that. And finally, to have a better personal relationship with him. Because the hope that is in you. That's what he said in the text, wasn't it? The hope that is in, the hope that is in, it's personal, it's yours, it's your relationship. What do I wanna know more about this book? This book tells me more about him. My relationship is stronger. The more that I know about him, the more my relationship increases with him. And the reason that you stay in a constant cycle of up and down and in and out because you think what you believe is nothing more than an insurance policy. That you make a payment on it a few times a year and then if you need it, you go to the adjuster and try to cash in a claim. My belief system is not an insurance policy. No. My belief system is who I am, what I am, what I will be. It is my assurance. I could give you tonight a hundred doctrines that are almost right. But they're not right. I don't know if the Lord, off and on I'm gonna deal with some basic doctrines over the next few weeks and months, is that okay? Amen. Thank you, I appreciate that because I'm gonna do it anyway. <laughs> Sunday morning, if we really, Sunday morning service, if we really get the doctrine that's presented Sunday morning, I, I wanna encourage you to do this. Remember I said about persuading people, right? You want the number one tool to persuade people right now? Everyone you know that is sick Everyone you know that is sick, 
I don't care what they have to do to get here. Get here. You say, oh, he's going to preach about healing. No, I'm not talking about the doctrine of healing. But I'll deal with a doctrine that'll tell you why a lot of people aren't healed. And you can be. You can be. See how quiet it gets? Oh, maybe you'd rather stay sick. Maybe you'd rather stay down. Maybe you enjoy paying high medical bills. I'm not saying don't go to the doctor. I go to the doctor. I'm not saying don't take medicine. I take medicine. But I always see myself as healed. You say, well, preacher, do you really believe that? Yeah, I do. For weeks, my wife carried me into this church and I sat up there in the balcony. God bless my balcony, friends. I love you. You let me worship with you for several weeks. And it was a chore to get ready. She just about had to dress me, had to button my buttons. I couldn't even button a button. I could, I could barely walk. I'd stagger here and there. But every day I come in, I praised him because he's my healer. I may not be perfect, but I'm healed compared to what I was. It can happen. Now I know eventually we're going to get something and die and go to heaven. The Lord's got to use a vehicle to take us there. I would just hate to miss the fact that I couldn't be productive for him while I'm here. And when that time comes, I'll be able to say, you're not scaring me, devil. I know good and well. I've done everything I can do for the glory of God. And he's brought me this far and he's taken me the rest of the way home where I'm going to get a new body as he promised in his word. I'm not saying that to tease you. I'm just saying that come Sunday. I don't set, someone said, why don't you set aside healing services? I can't set aside a healing service. I don't know when the Lord's gonna show up in an unusual spirit and start touching people. I don't control that, that's God's business. But I do know one thing, there's principles in the doctrine of the word of God that when it's preached and practiced, somebody can get it right then. What if you're the one Sunday? I'd hate to be home watching the ball game. Miss my healing. I gotta quit, you're gonna get mad at me. I won't have anybody preach to Sunday morning. If someone asks you, what do you believe? If they ask you specifically, what do you believe about heaven? What do you really believe? What do you believe about angels? What do you believe about salvation? What do you believe about God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God? What do you believe about your body, soul, and spirit? What do you believe about that? 
What are you going to tell them? Now, I didn't say it. We ought to always, always be ready. Always to give the reason for the hope that is in you.